Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets and Chief Content Officer for Inside the Boards. This is the Step 2 Secrets podcast, where we provide you the high-yield content from Step 2 Secrets in audio format, as well as question breakdowns, so you can study on the go and get back to reclaiming some of your life. Here is the question breakdown for the orthopedic surgery chapter. A four-year-old African-American girl presents to the emergency department with refusal to walk for one day. She's been limping for two weeks. She also had some self-limited diarrhea three weeks ago. Her mother states that she has no major medical issues besides, quote, some sort of blood problem, end quote. Her immunizations, including pneumococcal vaccines, are up to date. Her temperature is 38.3 degrees Celsius, which is 100.9 degrees Fahrenheit. Blood pressure is 110 over 80 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 92 beats per minute, and respirations are 29 per minute. She is irritable and cries when the provider tries to examine her leg. Examination of the hip reveals a warm joint that is painful to palpation and with movement. Distal pulses and neurologic examination of the extremity are within normal limits. Laboratory data are as follows. Hemoglobin, 9.8 grams per deciliter. MCV is 72. Reticulocyte count, 7%. White blood cell count, 17,000 per microliter. Segmented neutrophils, 77%. Bands, 12%. Monocytes, 8%. Eosinophils, 1%. Erythrocyte sedimentation rate is 54 millimeters per hour. Bone scan shows increased tracer uptake in the proximal femoral metaphysis. Which of the following is the most likely causative organism? Is it A, E. coli, B, Proteus mirabilis, C, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, D, Salmonella enterica, or E, Staphylococcus aureus? So let's take a look at this vignette. We have a four-year-old African-American girl who is not wanting to bear weight, has been limping for two weeks, and had preceding diarrhea. Uh, She is fully immunized. On physical examination, she is febrile with a a low-grade fever. She is tachypnic, irritable, and has an examination suggestive of an infection with 
pain to palpation and with movement of her hip. The bone scan, let's jump over her labs briefly. Bone scan shows increased tracer uptake in the proximal femoral metaphysis, so at least suspicious for osteomyelitis. And then when we look at her labs, she has a microcytic anemia with a reticulocytosis. So looking at that in an African-American girl with a microcytic anemia and what appears to be a reticulocytosis certainly uh, raises the possibility of sickle cell anemia. And then looking at the rest of her labs, she has a leukocytosis with a left shift and a bandemia, as well as an elevated ESR. So all of those point to a diagnosis of osteomyelitis. So then when we look at the answer choices, clearly it helps to know some of the causative organisms that can cause osteomyelitis. But then just as importantly is kind of knowing different age groups and which organisms can affect those, and then those with other underlying medical problems. So let's look at each of the choices. So the first choice is E. coli. E. coli tends to cause osteomyelitis in infants under one year of age, so she doesn't really fit the typical profile for that. Proteus mirabilis is a uropathogen that can cause staghorn calculi, but is not a common cause of osteomyelitis, so we can effectively rule that out as an answer choice. Pseudomonas is a cause of osteomyelitis, but it's more common in in those ages 16 years and older. A classic history for pseudomonal osteomyelitis is a dirty nail puncturing through the sole of a shoe and into someone's foot. So based on this child's age and the fact that we don't get a history that is consistent with a nail going through the sole of a shoe makes pseudomonas less likely as a choice. Salmonella enterica is choice D. Uh, Salmonella species are a rare cause of osteomyelitis in the general population, but are associated with osteomyelitis in sickle cell disease. So when we look at her history, we have this child who fits a profile of sickle cell disease, has findings consistent with osteomyelitis, had a recent diarrheal illness, which raises a possibility that she could have had a mild case of salmonella gastroenteritis. That makes this a very attractive answer choice. But before we select it, let's take a look at choice E, which is Staphylococcus aureus. So Staph aureus is the most common cause of osteomyelitis in children. But among children with sickle cell disease in the developed world, salmonella is actually more common than Staph aureus as a cause of osteomyelitis. So in in this patient with her history of antecedent diarrhea, and findings consistent with sickle cell anemia, salmonella would be the better choice here. And so the choice is D, salmonella. And now, back to the show. This is the orthopedic surgery chapter from USMLE Step 2 Secrets, 5th edition. Question 1. What orthopedic fractures are associated with the highest mortality rate? Pelvic fractures, because patients can bleed to death, If the patient is unstable, consider heroic measures such as military anti-shock trousers, also called mast trousers, and an external fixator. Question 2. Why should areas distal to the fracture site be assessed by physical exam? Areas distal to the fracture site should be assessed for neurologic and vascular compromise, either of which may be an emergency. 
Question three, distinguish between an open and a closed fracture. With an open fracture, the skin is broken over the fracture site. Suspect an open fracture with any overlying wound. The fractured bone does not have to be obviously exposed. In closed fractures, the skin is intact over the fracture site. Question four, explain the difference in management of open and closed fractures. With closed fractures, closed reduction and casting can generally be done. With open fractures, you should give antibiotics with coverage for gram-positive and gram-negative organisms. Cefuroxime is appropriate, and fluoroquinolones are an alternative. If the patient is at risk for methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, MRSA, add vancomycin. Do surgical debridement, give a tetanus vaccine booster, lavage fresh wounds if they're less than eight hours old, and perform open reduction and internal fixation. The main risk in open fractures is infection, which is usually not a problem with closed fractures because the skin is intact. Question five, what are the indications for open reduction other than an open fracture? Intraarticular fractures or articular surface malalignment, non-union or failed closed reduction, compromise of blood supply, multiple trauma to allow mobilization at the earliest possible point, and the need for perfect reduction to optimize extremity function, such as in professional athletes. Question 6. What type of radiographs should you order if you suspect a fracture? For any suspected fracture, order two views, usually anteroposterior and lateral, of the site, and consider radiographs of the joints above and below the fracture site. Question 7. How should you treat a patient with severe pain after trauma and negative x-rays? Treat the patient conservatively. Assume that there is a fracture and have the patient rest the injured area. Splinting may be appropriate for distal extremity fractures. Obtain follow-up radiographs 7 to 14 days after the injury if symptoms persist. Many occult fractures will become visible at this time. The exception to waiting is a suspected hip fracture in an elderly person. Proceed to CT or MRI of the hip to allow earlier diagnosis and treatment, which decrease operative morbidity and length of hospital stay compared with delayed diagnosis and treatment. In the pediatric population, x-rays may not always reveal fractures, so if a child has pain over a growth plate, consider this a fracture, a Salter-Harris type 1, and immobilize it. Question 8. Define compartment syndrome. What is the cause? Compartment syndrome is a problem of muscle compartments, which are limited by the fascia in which they are contained. It is seen in the extremities, most commonly in the calf, when edema or hemorrhage causes swelling inside a muscle compartment. Rising pressure inside the fascial compartment can lead to decreased perfusion that can result in permanent muscle and nerve damage. The three common clinical scenarios in which compartment syndrome is seen are fractures, classically mid-shaft tibial fractures, or supracondylar fractures of the humerus in children, burns, especially electrical and circumferential burns, and vascular compromise, or after vascular surgery procedures. Question 9. 
What are the signs and symptoms of compartment syndrome? How is it treated? Pain, especially pain on passive movement that is out of proportion to the injury. Paresthesias, hypoesthesia, and numbness, which is decreased sensation and two-point discrimination. Cyanosis or pallor, palpable swelling and firm-feeling muscle compartment. Paralysis, which is a late ominous sign. Absent peripheral pulses, also a late ominous sign. And elevated compartment pressure, greater than 30 to 40 millimeters of mercury. On the USMLE, the diagnosis of compartment syndrome often has to be made clinically without a pressure reading. Although pulses may be slightly decreased, they are usually palpable or detectable with Doppler ultrasound with compartment syndrome. Lack of palpable pulses is an ominous late sign. Compartment syndrome is an emergency, and quick action can save an otherwise doomed limb. Treatment is immediate fasciotomy. Incising the fascial compartment relieves the pressure. Question 10. Cover the right-hand columns and specify the motor and sensory functions of the following peripheral nerves. In what common clinical scenarios are they often damaged? The radial nerve. Motor function is wrist, thumb, and finger extension, so watch for wrist drop. Sensory function is back of the forearm and back of the hand. Clinical scenario where damage to the radial nerve is seen is in humeral fracture. The ulnar nerve motor function is finger abduction, so watch for a claw hand. Sensory function is the front and back of the last two digits. Look for elbow dislocation or fracture as a cause of ulnar nerve injury. The median nerve motor function is pronation of the forearm and thumb opposition. Sensory function is the palmar surface of the hand over the first three digits. Look for carpal tunnel syndrome or humeral fracture as a cause of median nerve injury. The axillary nerve motor function is abduction and lateral rotation of the arm. Sensory function is the lateral shoulder. And look for upper humeral dislocation or fracture as a cause to the a- uh, damage to the axillary nerve. And the perineal nerve Motor function is dorsiflexion and eversion of the foot, so watch for foot drop. Sensory function is the dorsal foot and lateral leg, and look for knee dislocation or fibula fracture as a cause of perineal nerve injury. Question 11. What is the difference between insufficiency stress fracture and fatigue stress fracture? How are stress fractures diagnosed and treated? A stress fracture is an incomplete or small fracture that develops because of repeated or prolonged forces against the bone. In fatigue stress fractures, abnormal stresses are applied to normal bones. For example, overuse injury, as in military recruits or marathon runners. In insufficiency stress fractures, normal or physiologic stresses are applied to an abnormal bone. For example, an osteoporotic bone. Diagnosis is made using x-rays. MRI or nuclear medicine scan may be utilized if x-rays are negative but strong clinical suspicion remains. The treatment is rest to allow healing and to prevent progression to a complete fracture. In the setting of insufficiency fractures, treatment of osteoporosis, for example, alendronate, calcium, and vitamin D, 
is also needed to help prevent future fractures. Fatigue stress fractures are treated with activity restriction. Question 12. What fracture is usually diagnosed in trauma patients with pain in the anatomic snuff box? Scaphoid bone fracture, classically after a fall onto an outstretched hand. The scaphoid is the most commonly fractured carpal bone. X-rays may not show a fracture initially, so if the patient falls has a fall onto an outstretched hand and has pain in the anatomic snuff box, treat these injuries as a fracture. Repeat x-rays can be performed one to two weeks later. Question 13. What are the most common locations of intervertebral disc herniations? What symptoms do they cause? Lumbar disc herniation is a common, often correctable cause of low back pain. The most common location is the L5-S1 disc, which affects the S1 nerve root. Symptoms include low back pain, buttock pain, and leg pain that is worse with sitting and improved with standing. On exam, look for decreased ankle jerk, weakness of plantar flexors in the foot, pain from the mid-gluteal area to the posterior calf, and a positive straight leg raise test. The most common location for herniation is the L4-L5 disc, which affects the L5 nerve root. Look for decreased biceps femoris reflex, weakness of foot extensors, and pain in the hip or groin. After the lumbar area, the second most common location is the cervical spine. The classic symptom of cervical disease is neck pain. Herniation is the most common at the C6-C7 disc, which affects the C7 nerve root. Look for decreased triceps reflex and weakness of the triceps and wrist flexion. Question 14. How is intervertebral disc herniation diagnosed and treated? Diagnosis is made with an MRI, preferred, or by a CT scan. Conservative treatment, including bed rest and analgesics, is usually tried first, as roughly 75% of cases will resolve with conservative management. Epidural steroid injection may help. Surgery, discectomy, may be required if conservative treatment fails or significant neurologic deficit is present to prevent permanent nerve damage. Question 15. Define Charcot joint. What causes it? How is it managed? Charcot joints, or neuropathic joints, are seen in patients with diabetes mellitus or other conditions causing peripheral neuropathy, such as tertiary syphilis. Due to decreased sensation, joints are subject to repetitive microtrauma, causing gradual arthritis or arthropathy and joint deformity. Patients should get radiographs for any, even minor, trauma because they may not feel even a severe fracture. Question 16. What is the most common bacterial cause of osteomyelitis? In what clinical scenarios should you think of other causes? Osteomyelitis is caused most commonly by Staph aureus. Think of gram-negative bacteria in immunocompromised patients or intravenous drug abusers. Salmonella species is the most likely cause in patients with sickle cell disease. Think Pseudomonas aeruginosa if there is a puncture wound through a tennis shoe. Diabetic patients who develop a diabetic foot 
with subsequent osteomyelitis usually have a polymicrobial infection. The gold standard for selecting antibiotic therapy is aspiration or biopsy of the affected joint or bone, respectively. Order a gram stain, culture, and cell count of the fluid or tissue if osteomyelitis is suspected. Check a white blood cell count and ESR or C-reactive protein. Question 17. Which bacteria are the most common cause of septic arthritis? In what scenario should you think of another cause? Septic arthritis is most commonly due to Staph aureus, but in sexually active adults, especially when young and or promiscuous, suspect Neisseria gonorrhea. In immunocompromised elderly or neonatal patients, also consider gram-negative organisms. Aspirate the joint and order a gram stain, culture, and cell count with differential if infection is suspected. Question 18. What is complex regional pain syndrome? How do patients present? Complex regional pain syndrome is a poorly understood disorder that generally occurs in an extremity and is characterized by pain, swelling, and signs of autonomic dysfunction, vasomotor instability with alternating warmth and coolness, and or sweating and dryness of the area. Type 1 does not involve a nerve injury whereas type 2 develops after a known nerve injury. In most, but not all cases, complex regional pain syndrome occurs after trauma or surgery. The associated trauma is classically mild, and symptoms may begin days or several weeks after the injury. Patients classically have severe intermittent pain, often described as burning, with associated temperature changes and sweating during episodes. A minor stimulus, such as light touch, may trigger severe pain symptoms. The diagnosis can be confirmed with radiographs or nuclear medicine scan. A presumptive diagnosis is often made in the appropriate setting if a sympathetic nerve block, that is, injection of local anesthetic into the involved nerve, relieves symptoms. This procedure can be repeated as part of therapy if it is initially successful. Question 19. True or false? There is a high incidence of vascular injury with posterior knee dislocations. True. Posterior displacement of the tibia is associated with popliteal artery injury. Order an angiogram if pulses are asymmetric, that is, weaker or absent on the affected side, in order to check for injury. Question 20. What is the most common type of bone tumor? metastatic, especially from breast, lung, or prostate cancer. Question 21. What is a pathologic fracture? What is the most common cause of a pathologic fracture? A pathologic fracture is one that occurs in bone previously weakened by another disease. Osteoporosis, especially in elderly, thin women, is the most common cause, but you should always think about the possibility of malignancy. Question 22. To what site is pain from hip inflammation or dislocation slash fracture classically referred? The knee, especially in children. Question 23. Specify age at presentation, epidemiology, signs and symptoms, 
and treatment for the three classically tested pediatric hip disorders. Developmental dysplasia of the hip is seen at birth. Epidemiology is females, firstborns, and breech delivery. Symptoms and signs include Barlow and Artelani's signs. Treatment is observation, an abduction splint, or open or closed reduction. Leg calf perthes disease is seen at the ages of four to eight years. Epidemiology, look for a short male with delayed bone age. Symptoms and signs include knee, thigh, or groin pain, as well as a limp. Treatment is orthoses. Slipped capital femoral epiphysis, or skiffy, is seen between the ages of nine and 13 years. Look for an overweight male adolescent. Symptoms and signs include knee, thigh, and groin pain, and a limp. Treatment is surgical pinning. Question 24. If you forget everything else about differentiating the three pediatric hip disorders, what historical point will help you most on the USMLE? The age at onset of symptoms. Question 25. Define Osgood-Schlatter disease. How is it recognized and treated? Osgood-Schlatter disease is osteochondritis, that is, aseptic ischemic necrosis, of the tibial tubercle. It is often bilateral and usually presents in boys between 10 and 15 years of age. Signs and symptoms include pain, swelling, and tenderness of the knee. Remember, the pediatric hip problems above have referred pain in the knee, but no knee swelling or tenderness upon palpation of the knee. Treat Osgood-Schlatter with rest, activity restriction, and NSAIDs. Most cases resolve on their own. Question 26. How do you check for scoliosis? Who is usually affected? What is the treatment? Check for scoliosis by having patients touch their toes while you look at the spine. If scoliosis is present, you will see an abnormal lateral curvature of the spine. An imaginary straight line should run from C7 through the gluteal cleft. Scoliosis usually affects prepubertal girls and is idiopathic. Treat with a brace for anything other than a very minor curvature. If the deformity is severe, that is, respiratory compromise or rapid progression, surgery should be considered. Question 27. What are the common findings with ligament injuries of the knee? How do you distinguish injuries of the anterior cruciate, posterior cruciate, medial collateral, and lateral collateral ligaments on a physical exam. Ligament injuries in the knee commonly cause pain, joint effusions, instability of the joint, and history of the joint popping, buckling, or locking up. ACL tears are the most common. Watch for the anterior drawer test. With the patient supine, the knee is placed in 90 degrees of flexion and the tibia is pulled forward, like opening a drawer. If the tibia pulls forward more than normal, that is more than the unaffected side, the test is positive and the patient has an ACL tear. PCL tears can be diagnosed with a posterior drawer test. Push the tibia back with the knee in 90 degrees of flexion. If the tibia pushes back more than the unaffected side, the test is positive and a PCL tear is present. MCL tears are suggested during the abduction or valgus stress test. 
with the patient supine and the knee in 30 degrees of flexion, place a hand on the lateral knee and push the lower leg laterally at the ankle. If the knee joint abducts to an abnormal degree, the test is positive and a medial compartment injury is present. LCL tears are suggested during the adduction or varus stress test. This is the opposite of valgus stress. With the patient supine and the knee in 30 degrees of flexion, place a hand on the medial knee and push the lower leg medially at the ankle. If the knee joint adducts to an abnormal degree, the test is positive and a lateral compartment injury is present. MRI and or arthroscopy can be used to confirm suspected tears and look for other injuries. Question 28. What are the risk factors for avascular necrosis? What is the best test to make the diagnosis? Avascular necrosis describes interruption of blood supply with subsequent bone ischemia and necrosis of cancellous bone and marrow. Patients present with pain in the affected area. There are many potential causes and associations, including trauma, usually in the setting of a fracture, corticosteroid excess, either endogenous or iatrogenic, sickle cell disease or other hemoglobinopathy, alcohol abuse, lupus and other connective tissue disorders, decompression sickness, slipped capital femoral epiphysis or SCIFI, and pancreatitis. The best test to make the diagnosis is MRI, which becomes positive before regular x-rays. That's the end of this chapter. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, my publishing company behind USMLE Step 2 Secrets, for allowing us to put out this book in audio format. Please check out the other Inside the Boards podcasts over at InsideTheBoards.com, including the main Inside the Boards podcast and the Inside the Boards Study Smarter series for question breakdowns and tips on getting through medical school. And with that, we wrap up today's episode of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Hi, this is Ted O'Connell. I just wanted to let you know real quick that when the time comes for you to begin studying for the USMLE Step 3, we actually now have a USMLE Step 3 subscription podcast. So I encourage you to check that out over at medpreptogo.com. We have sample episodes available. And even if you're studying for Step 2, you may actually find some of this content uh, really useful for your studies. So please do check it out.